Welcome to Broker to Broker, brought to you by AIM, the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts. If you haven't listened yet, Broker to Broker dives into the nitty gritty of the mortgage business by interviewing independent brokers and loan originators just like me. Hope you enjoy the show. Tickets are running out for the most exclusive broker event of 2022. Join us February 10th through the 12th at the Fontaine Blue Hotel in Miami Beach, Florida to celebrate the elite leaders in wholesale. Hear keynote addresses from Katie Sweeney, Matt Ishbia, and number one New York Times author Ryan Holiday. Gain valuable insight at the Mastermind Breakout Sessions, take advantage of networking opportunities, and welcome the inaugural Hall of AIM inductees. Buy your ticket and reserve your stay now. Please go to aimgroup.com. Welcome everyone back to season three. Yes, I cannot believe we're saying that season three of the Broker to Broker podcast. My name is Mark Summers. I'm the president of AIM. Uh, Excited for season three. Season two, I thought was absolutely amazing. You know, selfishly, uh, you know, season two is all done and I learned quite a bit. So, you know, obviously our our industry is always changing. Uh, we got, you know, a lot of things going on with rate hikes and whatnot and pretty much changing up our business as it always does. But I always say, you know, mortgage brokers are the most adaptive people out there. So talking about forecasting and rates and changing your business and who better not to have today, because I'll be interviewing the owner of Originator Success, Hammer J. Helmer. Hammer, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no, you've been uh, really flexible with me. <laughs> so, you know, I appreciate you being on here. I know that uh, you you have a wealth of knowledge on this, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. So before we get started here, because it was funny, we were talking before about, you know, how'd you get in the mortgage industry? And, and Hammer agreed with me right away. Yeah, we no one says I wanted to get into mortgages, but yeah, you fell into it. So tell us how you fell into it. I was going to say, I was a five-year-old. Everyone was asking me, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm like, I'm going to write loans. It was just <laughs> a drawn on crayons on my page. No, actually, what's funny is my entrance in the mortgage business business. I was selling vacuum cleaners for Electrolux door to door. What? That's that's that is that leads to how I got in the mortgage business. I, I can't wait to hear. I made a great living selling vacuum cleaners and I I bought my first condo and the guy that that bought that that bailed me out. And I say he bailed me out because I had a really bad situation, really bad experience buying my own first condo where um the originator was leading me on and you know, told me we're going to close this week, but we just need this document. And then a week went by, and we're going to close, and and basically left me in a lurch. The whole thing was going to fall apart. The title guy said, "Talk to this guy, Mike, you know, so and so." And and when I talked to him, he saved the day and um, got me a loan. And with option one, I was back in the subprime days. I was an option one loan. Were um, you really? I remember I, that. Yeah, eleven and a half percent was my interest rate, which is actually relevant. I'm not just telling a story. It's relevant to talk about an eleven and a half percent an interest rate because when we're talking about a rising rate environment. So everybody remember, I'm going to come back to that. We're going to talk about that. But a, a long story, a little bit shorter. Um, what happened was Mike got me in my condo a couple years later. I said, Mike, we're ready to go ahead and get a big house. And Mike said, hey, what, what happened to your income? And I said, well, I'm on a new compensation plan. I work twice as hard. I make half as much. And he laughed and he said, you should come and work for me in the mortgage business. And I, I've been offered jobs a long time. So I said, how much did you make last year? He said, 180,000. I said, yeah, every salesperson, 180. Okay, you made 120. I said, you show me a, a, a W-2 that you made 180,000. That's Wall Street stuff. I, I swear, I swear this was the true story. It was just like that. that I said, you show me a W-2 because you know all salespeople always blow up your ego. And he did. He he, he showed me a W-2 and uh, I, that was how I, I got into the mortgage business. My first loan, I sold a woman a vacuum cleaner and I refinanced her house for $80,000. <laughs> that was that was like a decent loan back then. Like that's and that's how easy it was to get into the mortgage business before NMLS, before all of these different things. And so I originated loans for a decade. 
I, I went broke in 08 when the industry tanked, um, but I wasn't going to go and do anything else. There was even, even with an industry that was in shambles, I was still making more than I could have made if I went and tried to find a new career. Um, kind of got back out of that funk. And in 2010, I took a position as an executive for uh, director of business development for a mid-sized company out West in California. And I did that for about four and a half years before I just got really tired of the red tape. A guy with a nickname Hammer, as you can probably figure out, does not like a lot of red tape. <laughs> and um, I decided, you know what? I what I really love about my job is helping originators get business. I don't like everything else, but I'm only going to do this. And that's what I did. I started Originator Success and we started finding our way of exactly kind of what would work best and how we get people loans. And in 2022, what that looks like is that we help originators and brokers get loans from Google and social media, and it's all turnkey and we do it very well. So that's kind of my story through the industry. I've been doing this for about 22 years. The rate side that we'll talk about, the reason that I have um, some experience with that is I helped start ratealert.com. The uh, never owned it was not my product, but I did help launch it, take it public, um, grow its users, and uh, was involved with that for many years. And for the last five, six years, I've done a Facebook Live every weekday about what's going on with the markets and rates and pricing. And I do a free email that originators are you know free to sign up for at I got to think of this one. Uh, free, free lock. No, it's not even free. It's daily daily lockadvice.com or, or lockadvice.com. I got to look that one up. But anyway, um, so I we, do we that. Can, we can put it, we can put it in the comments. When yeah. We, it's funny. Knows. I'm drawing, it's, I'm drawing a blank on that one. Um, but everyone else usually tells everyone else the link. And, um, but I do a free email for that. And I just, you know, I enjoy, I, I really love helping originators understand what's going on with the markets and, and how to take that to the consumer in a way that consumers really understand and how you can use it to grow your business and work with your business. And I think this week, you know, we happened to, to hit, a really, really great week to talk about this stuff because rates have jumped. And for anybody watching this later, this is the time when rates went from the low threes to the you know middle high threes. Yeah. So and, and that happened very quickly in about a week, week and a half. So that's that's a, a very difficult conversation to have with a consumer. They're going to go through the five stages of grief. For anybody that's ever seen the Kubler Ross model, there are five stages of grief. And I, I always thought that that really pertains to what happens when rates move up. Up because consumers are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then they go through the denial and the anger and the bargaining and the, they just really have to go through a process to, to accept it. And it's not the payment. It's the emotional yep. experience of, they feel like they missed out. Nobody wants to miss out. We all have that fear of missing out. So anyway, that's my backdrop and kind of taking it to where you want to go next. So, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. When it comes to like the borrowers, emotional side of things, you know, because they, they'll hear their friends say, you know, the, the bragging ones that say, I got 2.625, I got 2.75, you know what I mean? And they completely missed the boat, but, you know, the, and I, I know we'll get into this, but it's more or less like what you talked about. It's, we are the experts in this field and we got to educate people on this. Cause you're right. It's the payment's going to be better. Most likely you're going to help them put them in a better situation. It's just not that golden ticket that they thought they had. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, and, and like I said, I had a rate at 11 and a half percent. And I remember, you know, doing mortgages when six, seven and 8% were all great rates. So it's all in our mind. It's all relative. These are still phenomenal rates below sub 4%. So. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I was in the, you know, I mean, I've been in the industry a while, but I remember the one year that it went, uh, I had someone pay two points. I think it was like on a $300,000 loan because they want to be the first one below 5%. Yeah. You know, and when you look at that now, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous, but it is what it is. Okay. So, 
All right. You, so you, you you do a lot of the the economy stuff in, in terms of, you know, predicting rates and, and, and educating us so we can educate our borrowers. So, you know, a little background here for everyone. And I know they've heard this, but the feds came out saying that they're probably going to do, well, they are going to do rate hikes, right? Yeah. Um, they're, they're planning on taking three rate hikes as, as fast as this year. So how, how as an originator right now, do we plan for this? What is your piece of advice on this? Well, the, the first thing is we don't even have time to plan for this because that's what's causing the rate hike that we saw this last week. The investors all came back from the end of the year, the end of the year through the holidays, the last two weeks of the year, always very quiet. Most investors are taking those two weeks off. And we usually, as we roll into the new year, we'll see kind of where things are headed. We, we usually get some kind of an acclimation period, a week or two where the market's stable, but we can kind of see where things are going to trend for the new year. And this year was not that case at all. We, we woke up Monday morning, we were already down 30 basis points, which is fancy words for saying, oh no, rate sheets are going to suck. <laughs> and you know, we we were we woke up on Monday and things were bad and and all of last week they got worse. And the reason that they got worse was because of those three Fed rate hikes that you're talking about. So our opportunity to plan for it is is gone. We're actually seeing it now, the effect it's going to have on rate sheets. And the reason we're seeing it now is that investors and markets are all trying to, you know, they're trying to stay ahead of those Fed rate hikes. And the speculation went from well, we'll see some Fed rate hikes sometime, maybe in June. You know, they're going to taper down all those bond purchases. And we don't, they, the Fed will not do what's called liftoff. They're nicknaming it liftoff when they do their first rate increase. They're not going to do that until they get the bond purchases done. So then what happened is uh, in December, they said, well, we're going to speed up this process. We're going to get those bond purchases done sooner. And now that sooner became March. And that's kind of the speculation is that we're now going to see the first Fed rate hike in March, whereas uh, just a month ago, everybody, the markets, our rate sheets were reflecting the first Fed rate hike to come in June. And uh, that's that's why you know, we're seeing this already because everybody is very quickly trying to react to what they think is going to happen. Uh, last week, also the Fed meeting minutes came out and the Fed, they kind of gave us a very quiet one-two punch because everybody knew the tapering was going to happen. And we expected to see when bond tapering, and for those that aren't overly familiar with this stuff, what's happened is that when uh, COVID hit and the market started to go crazy. The Fed wanted to keep the economy moving. They wanted to keep the economy liquid. So they implemented quantitative easing, which is when they buy a lot of bonds to keep things moving. And they started buying treasuries and mortgage bonds back in February of 2020 or somewhere right around there. And uh, you know they announced that they're going to buy less of them over time. And they announced this you know back in November and they said, okay, we're gonna start buying a little less and a little less every month. And eventually we'll be done in June and we won't be buying anymore. And what that does is that keeps the supply and demand strong on the back end of the mortgage-backed security world, which is what keeps our mortgage rates low. So we figured, okay, when they do this tapering thing, that's going to drive rates up. And it really didn't. We didn't see that reaction. And everybody was like, okay, why not? And when you kind of peel back the onion, we really only have one modern um, 
situation that we can compare this to. And it was in 2013 when the Fed raised rates after the 2008 crash. And it took them five years to raise rates again after 2008 and the Great Recession. So they started to raise rates. They did the bond tapering then. And we saw what we call the taper tantrum. Rates immediately jumped up. And what they figured out was it wasn't the tapering that scared everybody. It was the uncertainty of what was going to happen next. When was the Fed going to start raising rates? And back then, that was what drove rates up really quickly. Well, this time we didn't see it in the bond tapering. So everyone went, okay, well, it's going to be the rate increases. That's when we're going to see the market move. And that's exactly what's happening now is everybody was expecting it in June. So we would have seen this kind of behavior at some point. But in those last Fed meeting minutes, they sped up the process for the bond purchasing or for drawing that down. They they made it very clear that they were going to raise rates sooner. And the other thing they slipped in there was we're also going to start reducing our balance sheet. So in other words, they have been buying and buying and buying and buying. So they've accumulated a big stockpile of all of these treasuries, all of these mortgage-backed securities. And instead of sitting on that and kind of just letting it bleed back into the market slowly, they said, we're going to do all of this at once. We're going to stop buying. We're going to raise rates and we're going to start reducing our balance sheet. We're going to let this stuff start going back into the market basically um, as it comes due. So that's what really freaked everybody out is they went from, uh, I don't know why they use birds, but they call it dovish to hawkish. So they went from a dove, which is you know, a nice gentle bird to the hawk, which is the one that you know kills everything else. So they went from dovish to hawkish and now they're killing our rates wow so but also wouldn't you agree oh, i mean i don't know because obviously you're the expert on this stuff you know they they probably jumped the gun on this a little bit with these rates so to to prevent you know the freak out wouldn't you say well they've been the freakout came all at once for us because we're feeling yeah, it more. Yeah, from our um, point, from our yeah, standpoint. Stocks, stocks are taking quite a, a bit of a hit. And that's kind of what happens sometimes is the snowball becomes an avalanche and it's just too much momentum. Everybody jumps on and it's just basically like everybody jumped on the bouncy house and the bouncy house collapsed. Um, and that's kind of where we're at right now. They were trying to ease it out there slowly. They've been telling everybody what's coming. And I think what really shook everybody up was just coming back from vacation and a little action turned into a lot of action turned into a devastating amount of action. So we're seeing it all all at once, even though we all did know this was coming. Yeah, I, I don't think we wanted to believe it. You know what I mean? No. Um, and the and the other thing, of course, that's a big that's a big problem now is inflation. There's you know, the reason the Fed has to raise rates and be aggressive is because inflation is such a problem. And we're going to get some inflation readings this week that will reinforce that. And the Fed went from this idea that inflation was transitory. So we're going to see some inflation, especially when you do year over year numbers. Last year was covid. Nobody was out spending. And when you're doing inflation, you're looking at consumer spending and you're looking at the cost of goods. And so cost of goods are generally going to go up when there's a higher demand and there's not enough to go around. And that's the natural cycle of things. And inflation hasn't been, uh, has been actually a problem that we haven't had inflation for, I, I want to say almost a decade. So now we're seeing tremendous inflation and there's Again, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback. So there's some people, some economists out there that are like, oh, the Fed's missing the boat. They needed to do this sooner. They need to be right on top of this. Goldman Sachs came out yesterday, started talking about 
uh, you mentioned three rate hikes, which is what is expected for this year in 2022. And uh, Goldman Sachs came in and said, uh, we think we're going to see four. We're going to see four rate hikes. And and of course, you know, Morgan Chase didn't want to be outdone. So they said, we think we're going to see five. <laughs> so, you know, now there's the big banks are on board with this and uh, the big investors is what you really want to remember on them. And they're actually saying that we could see even more aggressive rate hikes than what we're seeing. And that's why the market is reacting to that, because that's the belief that we're seeing. Okay, so what do you think that's going to do with rates overall? What 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 do you think? I, I think we're probably near some of the worst rates we'll see for this year. Uh, my own personal opinion on that. The reason that I believe that is because we're seeing, first of all, rate sheets are much more complicated than just what we see in the bond market. So we're seeing the bond market lose a lot of ground. But when you look at rate sheets, what you have happen is the the you know lenders have to make money, and if they're in an environment where you know things are moving so quickly that they want to be a little more uh, aggressive on those rate increases and on those rate sheets uh, in order to make sure that they can sell those loans for a profit and that's what we're seeing you know everybody that's been in this business knows rates are very quick to move up and they're much slower to move back down again or for pricing to improve on a rate sheet so because of how quickly we've seen that movement in the back end and in secondary for these lenders the lock desks have pushed rates very quickly to the high side and what will likely happen is that I think we're just about peaking out now. Um, this morning is a little bit more negative, but we're seeing the 10-year Treasury yield start to kind of hold around that 1.8 area. It's back down to 1.77 right now. So we're seeing a, a bit of an arc. And the, you know, if you throw a ball up in the air, it's going to hit a peak and then it's going to fall back down. Hopefully that's what's happening to the 10-year Treasury yields. The 10-year Treasury is not where your mortgage rates come from, but it's a precursor. And it tells us that mortgage-backed securities are going to follow a similar path. So so if we're seeing that, say that three and three quarters right now, three and seven eighths for some retail lenders, I hate to say it, but it's true, um, then you're going to see this is probably the high side. And lenders will will fight to keep rates below 4% for that psychology factor because they still need to keep loans coming in the door. And nobody's going to want to go from the threes to the fours. So I think we're going to see around you know the three and three quarters, three and seven eighths area for a little bit. And then once the market is comfortable with, okay, we think we've priced this in, now we'll see a bit of a pullback and rates will drop back down again. And I think that's probably what we're going to see um, I think we just got it all at once. It was like what we should have seen over two or three months seemed to get sped up and pushed into a week or a week and a half. But once the Fed starts raising rates, mortgage rates shouldn't really go up because the we've already priced that in. And the Fed rate hikes are supposed to fight inflation. Inflation is actually the biggest enemy for bonds, for mortgage rates. So if the Fed's rate hikes are thought to be working, that'll keep inflation a little bit more in check. That should hopefully help mortgage rates actually settle in. So uh, as far as that idea, I don't think that we're going to have to worry about being in the high fours or the mid fours at the end of the year. I think hopefully we may see some of these patterns where we go up and kind of touch and flirt with that 4% mark and then fall back down. And we're not, we're not going to fall back into the twos, but we should fall back into the low to mid threes. Today's episode is sponsored by HomePoint. HomePoint is built for brokers like you. While most mortgage lenders are focused on winning the initial transaction by touting rate and convenience, HomePoint does that and more, taking a holistic, long-term approach to its partnership and customer service. They are evolving the mortgage experience by putting people and partnerships first and delivering the customized support you need to grow your business and wow your clients. Find out why there's no place like HomePoint. Get connected today by logging into the AIM member portal at brokersarebetter.com.
NMLS 7706. You know, and, and from, from an originator who's done this for a long time, I mean, you can make a really good living, you know, just, just hanging in the threes. And, and my, my big thing, and one of the main reasons why I want to have this conversation with you is, listen, the sky's not falling. You know, us, us brokers and originators, we hear one bad thing and we think the sky has fallen. I, I think this is, is just going to settle the market a little bit. But now what I'm really curious to hear what you have to say, because one thing that's been on our side for the last few years is the, is the housing pricing. Right. Like yeah. we're, we're, we have the most equity we've ever had ever. What do you see happening there? And, and once again, we all know this is an opinion. We never know what's going to happen, but I would love to right. hear what you have to say. Absolutely. Well, and that's that's the thing that that I always as an active originator, the rate I sold was the rate that I had in front of me. And I worked with, you know, I worked for a broker for for part of my career. I worked at five different lenders. I worked at Countrywide. I worked at GMAC Mortgage. I had very, very aggressive rates. I had less aggressive rates, but I still needed to make a living. And I thought my rates were always fair. And at the end of the day, I had to sell the rate that I had in front of me. And that's kind of the thing everybody needs to realize is that right now for the next few weeks, we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation where you have to be a therapist and you're going to have to lead all those prequals and all those people out looking, uh, you're going to lead them through a process of grief where they come to terms with where we're at with rates now. And very few borrowers are actually should be falling out of your pipeline because they're now unable to afford a home, right? Mm -hmm. There's very few that that a half a point rate increase is going to, you know, push their DTI outside of the range. But what's going to happen is once everybody kind of gets comfortable with these, hopefully that slows down the ridiculous um, price appreciation that we've seen in homes the last year and a half. You know, the bidding wars with the escalation clauses, that, that's been overheated. It's been too much. We wanted to see a healthy increase in home prices. But what happens is if everybody, and if you're listening to this or watching this, I want you to think of it like a seesaw. So, you know, we have a fulcrum in the middle, a triangle in the middle, and that is affordability. And the only way that rates can go up and housing prices can go up is if affordability goes up, if people are making more money and they can afford more home. Otherwise, what's going to happen is as rates start to creep up, the housing prices are going to start to level off. And eventually, if rates were to go high enough, they would actually push housing prices down. That would I don't think that's going to happen, but that's how it works. It's really just like a fulcrum. You have rates on one side, housing prices on the other. So as we see rates creep up, we're going to see housing prices hopefully settle in. It is going to take some people out of the market. But the problem that we've had the last few years has been not enough supply and a tremendous amount of demand. And in 2008, for, for those of you that didn't live through it, the, what went wrong in 2008 is that Wall Street was selling tons of debt. They were selling tons of mortgages and they were making boatloads of money. And they kept coming back to lenders saying, we need more, we need more. And the only way you can create more mortgages at a certain point was to open the guidelines and qualify more people to be out buying and, and refinancing. So that's what we did. And we created some really ridiculous guidelines at the time. I remember seriously looking at a rate sheet, seeing no in you know, stated income, wage earner, 100% financing on an investment property. That's absolutely insane. You're basically right. just giving somebody who should be able to easily show you their income that can't show you their income 100% of the money to buy a house that they're not going to live in. 
And that's why we saw the crash that we saw. This time around, we're not going to see that crash. We, we're seeing a tremendous amount of cash buyers. You know, the, the consumers that are getting mortgages are more qualified than ever before. So we're not going to see a crash. What we may see is a little bit of a dip in some price ranges, um, but we're not going to see, you know, definitely not going to see a crash. And any, any dip that you see is going to be short term. And when I say short term, I'm talking a year or two. So short term in the life of owning a home. And, and, and we'll come right back up. But what, what we don't have is we don't have introductory housing anymore. I mean, there's no starter houses. People can't get in for a low price. I mean, I just bought a house as an investment and my, my son and his girlfriend are renting it from us. And I bought that house for $135,000. And um, I almost felt guilty because here I am stepping in as a cash buyer and I'm buying this house because, but the people that used to qualify for a low, low mortgage to get into those properties, they can't find anything anymore. And then that house that I bought is now probably one eighty. And this is just eight months, nine months later. Will it drop back to 135? Probably not, because there's still a strong demand. Even if rates go up to three and a half, four, four and a half percent, there's still a strong demand for that $185,000 house. So it's demand remains high. The inventory remains low. That's going to keep our housing prices stable. We may see a small dip in some price ranges, some areas of the country, but overall, you know, it, it's solid. And as far as originators writing loans, you know, that equity gives you an opportunity that we just didn't have. So refinances are quote unquote going to dry up. Well, why are they going to dry up? Oh, rates went up. No, that means some refinances are going to dry up and maybe a lot right. of them, but there are still cash out refinances left and right. There's a ton of them out there. You just got to switch the way that you think about these things. That extra equity gives, you know, originators the opportunity to help consumers consolidate debt. It gives them the opportunity to, you know, um, not necessarily that I would promote arbitrage where they should pull money out of their home and invest it in the stock market. Be careful with things like that. That did bite us in the ass back in 07, 08. Um, but you can definitely, you know, there, there's opportunities to use home equity for college, you know, paying for college tuition, improvements. A lot of people can't move up in, in, in houses right now. So they're doing home, you know, improvements and remodeling and renovations. And you could be out there marketing for that business, looking for that business. You'll still see a lot of refinances right now. Right. It's just not that low hanging fruit right. that, that, that we had. It's, it's, it's yeah. going to, you have to search for a little bit more. I like what you said there. You're going to have to change your mindset on some things of, why you know these refinances are still going to continue to happen it's just not the ones that let's just say this it's not going to be the easiest ones anymore right and that's and that's basically i think where everybody needs to recognize the rate increase for for everybody out there doesn't have anything to do with rates it has to do with how you run your business and now's the time that you need to start adjusting your behaviors because you're going to have more time. You're not going to be getting as many incoming calls. You're not going to be as overwhelmed, but you're also not going to be getting, as you said, Mark, that low lying fruit. So now it's when you have to sharpen your pencil and realize that, that what makes mortgage originating so unique is it's actually two or three different jobs in one position. And I always talk about a mortgage originator is everything you do before you take an application. It's all of the handshaking, any kind of marketing that you do, any kind of advertising that you do, everything you're doing out there to create business before you take an application, that's mortgage originating. Then you've got loan officering, which is everything that you do to get that loan across the finish line and all the fighting with appraisers and arguing with underwriters and begging borrowers for documents. That's, that's the second part of that job. And everybody He's got to remember, I need to go back to how did I originate? Where, you know, do I have a prospect pipeline? 
You know, in other words, you've got your pipeline of loans, but do you have the pipeline that leads to the pipeline? What is your prospect pipeline? What, how many people do you have out there looking? Understanding that the purchase market is not going to get any easier. We didn't suddenly, rates didn't go up and we suddenly have more inventory. So you're still going to have people out there looking for homes all, you know, all over the place. And you need to have more of them than ever because less of them are going to find a home. So you've got to make sure that you're focused on your prospecting activities. What are you doing to make sure that you've got new apps and new pre-qualifications coming in you know, this week? And, and those key performance indicators in your business are going to be what separates the people that survive a rising rate market versus the ones that have just, you know, that are going to fall off to the side. Love it. Love it. So I, I personally think 2022 is going to be more or less like the year of the broker. I really do. I think we are we are lined up. We have done a phenomenal job over the last, you know, three-ish years, even plus, really promoting the broker world, really educating consumers of why, you know, it's better to go broker. And obviously we've been we've been, you know, just harping out there saying, you know, it's gotta be purchases and it's got, you know, but there's still opportunities for refis, but you really gotta focus on that purchase. Why do you think 2022 will be a great year for purchase loans for the broker? Well, I'll, I'll answer that in two parts. So I think it'll be a great year for purchase loans because I do think that there's still a very strong demand for new housing. And I think a lot of people are still going to qualify because rates are still below 4%. And we were writing loans and selling houses when rates were at 6 and 7 and 8%. So I think there's going to be plenty of purchase business, even though there's more people looking for it. Again, that's where you've got to sharpen your pencil, work on your sales skills, maybe your presentations and your scripts. Um, and that's where being a broker has an advantage. Now, I love all of my originators community. I, I think that you can have great originators in every channel. So I want to make sure that, that I, I'm sincere with my own belief there. However, there is a reality to margin compression and you're going to have a lot of retail um, loan officers struggling because their rates are going to go up and stay up a lot higher, whereas brokers are going to have a lot more flexibility. If you have one of your investors whose rates are a little bit high, you know, maybe they're trying to uh, make up margin or control volume, you've got other options. And that's something that is a huge benefit in a rising rate market is that you can, you know, fire up Loan Sifter and look for reputable lenders that have, you know, who's, who's aggressively looking to fill their pipeline right now. And also, you know, again, just not, not throwing you know, snowballs at anybody, but it, the lenders on the wholesale side tend to handle margin compression better. They are uh, able to operate a little bit leaner. They are a little less fat. And so what's going to happen is in this rising rate environment, you will see opportunities where as a broker, you know, again, your rate may be higher than it was a week or two ago, but your rate's still better than everybody else's rate that, you know, that's how, that they may be talking to on that retail side. So there's, I, I think being a broker is a tremendous benefit uh, in a rising rate environment. And, and in 2022, when there are less loans, I, I think it's a great year. I think the regulations have settled in. Um, I think that the, the support that brokers get from AIM and from you know, lenders like, uh, you know, again, not, not that this is a plug, but just me as an observation, you know, from UWM, I know they do a lot to help brokers and, and EPM. And, you know, a lot of the, the wholesalers really are investing in the broker channel to help the brokers and mm -hmm. to run a better business. And I think that is where we went wrong in, in 08, 09, when it was very, very difficult to remain a broker and the brokers almost got ran out of the business. And now, you know, this is still a fantastic year to, uh, you can operate on leaner margins, you can still be highly compliant with less fat and you don't have margin compression. The lenders are in that same boat. So I think, it, you know, that's what, what makes it such a great year for purchase business for brokers.
I love it. I one hundred percent agree with you too. That's why I don't have much to comment on it because you're hitting. <laughs> you're saying everything <laughs> sorry I if I'm say. sorry Which if I'm is, taking up all the oxygen in the room. No, I no. Trust me, people want to hear from you, not me. Um, okay, so what what piece of advice would you give to originators uh, to to be successful in twenty twenty two? Okay, so without um, I don't want to go too far and sound like I'm plugging originator success, but I want to share with you what we do with originators that is currently working. And we are focused on social media channels because it's digital networking. The idea of how do you get out there and connect with more people? Now, there's things that we can do to support our originators, and we've got some really cool tools. But what I see are brokers that are very, very focused on being the digital mayor. Guys like Jimmy Hobson, uh, ladies like Chastity Graf, uh, Nathan Einkorn. You know, there, there's a bunch of them out there, but those are the ones that come right to the top of my list where they, uh, Alan Christian, uh, amazing. He's really got it dialed in. The, you know, these are folks that are out there aggressively um, using social media and making sure that they're increasing all of their at-bats. You know, if you're, we talked about, well, you've got to sharpen your sales pencil. You've got to be out there in front of more people. And that doesn't mean putting up desperation posts like, hey, if you're still looking to refinance or it's it's follow some of those folks whose names I gave you a minute ago and take a look at what they do and, and how they're just they're just interacting with everybody. Join different groups for your area, for your surrounding local area. There's Facebook groups for, like I'm in the Western uh, North Carolina region. I'm right around Waynesville and we've got, we love Waynesville and we love uh, Maggie Valley. These are Facebook groups and you can join these groups and you don't have to be in there trying to promote yourself. You just need to be in there participating. Let people see you, let them see you as somebody just in the community and embrace. That's the, the advantage a broker has that even if you don't have a single person come to your office anymore, which is probably the case, you're still that local community member and you can do that online. So you want to embrace social media. You want to make sure that you're prominent on Google, you know, Google, my, my business. Now it's called Google business profile. That's, that's a really big deal. And even that name change, they did that on, that that name change kind of basically i feel like we're playing poker with google and they just kind of tipped their cards because what they what they're doing is that google business profile and the reason that they're changing the name is they're focusing on the experience that consumers have going online and interacting directly with google because it's a warfare out there between facebook and google and uh you know even like youtube of course being owned by google but everybody wants to fight for these eyeballs and control that attention and keep people there so what that opportunity is available for for brokers and for originators is they can have a presence on google and this google business profile and google is going to probably be coming out with some wicked tools in 2022 that we can use to get even more business from all the people that go online looking for mortgages. Now, remember, I, I used to write my 1003 with a dinosaur bone. So back when I did it, you know, SEO and the idea that you would get loans from the, the internet were it was just ridiculous. You know, I mean, I, I dress I, I'm a cowboy, but like the cowboys that were big in, in my era were the dancing cowboys, and they would be like, you know, that was the lower my bills cowboys, and that, that was all over the internet, and they were the Google ads. And well, now 
Google has gone to a local model with change with smartphones and it put everything in your hand. Everything's a local model. And I am amazed at the, not even just the number of loans people get from Google, but also the quality of the leads and the, the size of the loans. And they're not rate shoppers. You know, these are not rate shoppers where they're like, if you've got somebody going to a bank rate, um, rate table and they're, you know, worried about that 0.03 on that rate number. You know, these are people that are like, Hey, I found you online. And then this next part is key. And I saw you had great reviews. So you want to be online. You want to have a strong online presence. You want to have great reviews. This is going to help you to get organic search traffic. We had an originator the other day, close a $1.7 million loan that they got from Google. And what made me scratch my head on that is she's in Washington, DC area. This is a house, probably what, two and a half million, maybe 3 million to get a 1.7 million loan. This is somebody that didn't go to their financial advisor. They, they, they went on Google. And they picked somebody from Google. So um, that's that's a key element of it. The second piece is, you know, you're out there trying to get more business, of course, purchase business. That means real estate agents. Understand that real estate agents, unless they're really, really solid with you, are generally going to do the whole like, hey, here's three cards, you know, kind of a thing. And if you want to win these wars, you've got to make sure that all of your, your soldiers are out there working for you. And one of those soldiers is Google. Because when somebody gets a card and the real estate agent says, you know, here's a few cards, that consumer doesn't want to talk to three people. They want to talk to one. So what they do is they do their research. Research means I'm going to go on my phone and I'm going to go on Google and I'm going to look these people up. And what they find is who wins. Because if you're winning on Google, you've got great reviews, you've got solid stuff, your website creates a conversation, you're going to get that call, you're going to get that text, you're going to talk to them. If you don't have these tools set up though, and you're like, well, I do all my business by referral. Well, your referrals are going to start to dry up. Because what's happening is the agents are still referring, but the consumers are deciding who they're going to call based on what they're finding online. And we see this behavior all the time. So this year, you know, for 2022 as a broker, take advantage of your local strengths. Be on Facebook, be on Instagram. Uh, TikTok is really strong for some originators. You got to have the personality and comfort for that. But Facebook and Instagram is easy for anybody. Um, Stay off of OnlyFans. Uh, you don't need to be there. But, you know, the other ones are definitely valuable for you. Uh, have a strong Google My Business profile. Make sure that you've got reviews and not just Google reviews um, because Google can suspend your listing. They do weird things. So don't ever be careful not to put all your eggs in that basket, but you, you want those reviews to end up on Google. Stay away from Zillow reviews because Zillow is selling your soul. Um, you know, that would be like, Hey, go put my review on quicken.com. Right? Like right, you know, this right. is not where you would want this. So, um, you know, lenders that are supporting the reviews like UWM and the find, a, you know, find a broker. Um, that's fantastic. You know, get some reviews on there. That's going to help you to get more loans. There is more of that business out there and you want to make sure that you've got you know, now that you've got a little bit of breathing room that you take the time to make sure all these tools are set up for you so that you're, you know, as rates creep up, the rates won't hurt you because you've got lots of prospects. You're still out there with your key performance indicators. You know, I mean, I, I look behind me because I almost want to look and see, I have a pile of paper to go through from the end of the year. And I was pulling the index cards that I used to use as an originator that had my daily key performance indicators. You know, how many people did I talk to? You know, did I write a loan? What was the amount? And that's kind of what you want to do in your business is 
is go back to remembering that you're running a business and that that business requires a sales and prospecting team. And that team may be you. And if you're the sales and prospecting team, you need to make sure you've got your KPIs, your key performance indicators. What am I doing to make sure I have business next week, next month, rather than what am I just doing to answer the phone and be reactionary? That's what's going to be different in 2022 than 2020 and 2021. And that's why I think we'll win, you know, from the broker standpoint, you know, I always got to be pro broker, not always got to be, but I am. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, so I'm going to lean in with that. So do you have time for one more question? Absolutely, please. Perfect. So, you know, we, we put a Facebook post out there for people that don't know, we want to, we want to hear more feedback from, from our community, you know, and questions you would like, uh, you know, asked uh, during these podcasts. So we're going to take one from Jessica Ayler here. She says, I would like to know a gentle yet effective way to break it to the borrowers that rates have gone up substantially since your original quote while they were in the process. So um, what would you say to that? Okay. That First of all, that is a fantastic question. And I'm going to answer it for you. Um, I'm going to start by explaining the five stages of grief. And, and it sounds silly, but this is literally what is happening to somebody who was quoted a rate of maybe three and an eighth and three and a quarter, and now is looking at three and five eighths or, you know, three and three quarters, right? They're going to go through denial. They're going to be like, well, no, you know, rates, rates didn't go up that much. And denial usually leads to that first inclination of rate shopping, or maybe I need to look around, right? So that's, you want to understand that's usually where you're going to get the most pushback is when you're first talk about it. And I'm going to answer Jessica's question of how I would handle it and how I handled it when I was actively originating uh, in one moment. The second thing is you've got anger, then you get bargaining where, so they go through these stages and they're, of course, they're angry that they're going to pay more. Then they're like, well, what if, what if I, what if we wait a little bit? What if I pay this? What if I, and they'll start doing what if questions. That's the bargaining stage. Then they go through depression where they're just upset that they're, they missed out. Nobody likes to miss out. And then finally you get to acceptance and you need to understand as you're, you're, working with the consumer, that they're going through this process because it's no canned script that's going to fix this. It's listening and understanding where the consumer is in the process. It's going to help you to handle that conversation. The second thing is that you've also got to be aware of what kind of borrower are you dealing with? If you've got a lot of engineer type borrowers, they work at Microsoft or Boeing or whatever, they're going to be the ones that you could talk to about mortgage-backed securities, maybe show them a chart you know, and show them something off MBS Highway or MBS Live, and you could show them some candlesticks, they're going to dig that, right? Because that's an engineer type. So when you, when you answer the question for them, or you talk about rate increases for them, that works very well. However, I see a lot of originators try to do that for everybody. And, and in my experience, again, yours may vary, but my experience, it didn't work well for everybody. Because what I remember is that if you confuse people, it creates a mistrust and it creates fear. And that's when they feel like, okay, I, I need to gain control again. And how do I do that? Well, I do that by calling around, shopping around, or more particularly going to the internet and finding the lies. And that's, that's what you're really up against most of the time is that when you talk about rates and, and going up, they're going to want to go to the internet and they're going to find the lies. And that's that conversation with most of your consumers is, is a little bit easier to have if you take and compare it to something they can understand. So what I always did and what worked very well for me is I would say, Mark, you know how the price of gas goes up and down at the pump? Familiar with that, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So did you ever stop and think about why does the price of gas go up and down at the pump? Why is gas three something a gallon today where it was a dollar eighty or two twenty five a gallon a year ago? Any any thought on that? 
Well, it's obviously government ridden, but I don't really know. I just kind of, hey, I need gas. Right. And that's what, and everyone thinks it's like, oh, it's the president, right? Well, what really, the price of gas goes up and down based on the price of oil and the price of oil, crude oil, price of oil at the barrel. So if you look in the newspaper and you'll see the price of oil has gone up tremendously, that's, that's what's operating behind the scenes on the price of gas. And that's what's driving the price of gas up is the price of oil went up. Also going into that equation, you've got refineries, you've got trucking, and you've read, I'm sure, a lot about what's going on with inflation. And it's causing those costs to go up at refineries and at trucking and, and getting the gasoline there. So all of these together, the price of oil at the, at the back end, the crude oil in the barrel, the refinery prices, the trucking prices, all the that's what's driving gas prices up in the front. So it's not that gas stations are greedy and they decided we're just going to raise gas prices because everybody needs gas. So it's the same thing with mortgage. Rates. What's happening with mortgage rates is that mortgage rates have gone up very quickly, and it's because of everything happening in the back end. Now, I could explain to you all these the jargony stuff about mortgage-backed securities and how lenders continue to have enough money to keep doing mortgages and, and what's driving all of it. But what I want you to realize is that the back end pricing for mortgages is what's gone up, and that's gone up for everybody. However, how they deal with it and how much of that makes it to you is where I come into play. And that's like the refineries and the trucking. So mm -hmm. what I want you to know, Mark, is that I can't control how rates have moved in the back end, but on the front end and helping to make sure that you're getting the best rate you can in this environment or, you know, and pause timeout. Like, so be careful, never say the word best or lowest on paper, right? This is not a marketing term you never want to use, but in a conversation, don't say competitive. Nobody wants a competitive rate. Right. Like you don't, you're not a guy and you're like, yeah, I want it. I want to, I want to, go out to the bar and pick up a competitively looking girl. Like it doesn't go that way, right? We're, right? We all want the best. So, you know, say to them the way that I can work and help you to get the best rate and, and it's the best rate for them. That's the way I always feel comfortable. I can help you to get the best rate for you or that I can make sure that you're still getting a great rate. That's another way if you don't want to use the word best, but the way Mark that I can make sure you're still getting a great rate is that even though things are going up in the back end, I'm going to make sure that we're looking around to find the best lender for you. Uh, I'm going to make sure that your loan is closing on time. So you you don't lose out on the house. I know that it that it sucks to have the payment go up. But if this 40 or $50 a month is something that's going to that means you can't buy the house, then maybe we, you know, maybe that's not the right house for you anyway. But I don't see you in that situation. I think you're fine. And, and when, when, and if, if, and when rates come back down, I'll be there for you. And we've got no cost refinance options that we can look at for you. And we can, we can help you when mm -hmm. rates drip back down. I'll be there for you. But for now, what's important to note is that the back end has gone up for everybody. It's going to be more expensive for others. You're going to see a lot of different marketing out there where they're, they're desperate for business now, and you'll see some bait and switch. And I just want to remind you that I've you know been, been working with you. Look at my reviews. Look what other people, the experience they've had. Mark, are you comfortable that we continue to work together and still find you, you know, still get your home closed and get you a great rate? Yes. You know, and, and that's, you know, you can deflower it a little bit, y'all, but that's basically how you want to deal with that. And then I simplify it again. I, I kind of went deeper so you guys would understand it, but I would simplify the conversation a lot and say, Mark, just like the price of gas goes up and down at the pump, that's not gas stations trying to rip you off. That's because the price of oil is going up and refinery prices are going up and trucking is getting more expensive. And that's what's happening in mortgages. There's a lot on the back end that I don't want to bore you with. And it all has to do with bonds and mortgage bonds and all kinds of things, but that's gone up. And, and it's partly due to inflation. It's because of the Fed rate increase. It's because we're coming out of COVID and that's a good thing. But for you, it sucks. I get it because rates, you know, rates, higher rates mean higher payment, but I want you to know you're not missing out. 
And there again, confirmation, affirmation. Remember the emotion involved with them. You're not missing out, Mark. You are still you are still getting rates. In fact, let me tell you a story. My first condo, I got a rate of 11.5%. <laughs> and the key to that was I was paying $1,000 a month in rent. But even at 11.5% in a mortgage, when you put the homeowner's fee on because it was a condo and I paid the taxes, would you believe that I was still about $40 a month cheaper with all of that, my mortgage payment, my my property taxes, my HOA, even at 11.5% than I was at the $1,000 a month rent? So the rate is kind of an ego thing. And I know you want a great rate and I want to get you a great rate and I'm going to get you a great rate. But isn't this still the right move? Aren't you buying a house now is the right thing? You know, and, and that was always the conversation I had. So I remember I told you that, you know, 35 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago, I told you that 11 and a half percent my mortgage rate was going to be relevant. There you go. There you go. You brought it, you brought it all back. And I love that analogy too, by the way, with the, with the Thank gas you. prices. So, well, Hammer, listen, Hey, you, you've been absolutely awesome. Um, you know, I, I think this conversation is good because right now I think you have a lot of uneasy brokers out there and originators we're extremely worried about rates and, you know, how am I going to provide for my family? And, and personally, you know, I, I originate still, you know, you, you, you've calmed my nerves down just, just with this conversation. So I just want to thank you for that and, and appreciate all your insights today. And I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I was, I love to chat about this stuff. It is still my passion and uh, thank you for giving me a forum to share it. Oh, my, my pleasure. So brokers, listen, if you ever see this guy, thank him. But uh, if you want to get caught up on all of our past podcast episodes, please head over to aimgroup.com backslash broker to broker. You can also listen to all the broker to broker podcast episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and Google podcasts, anywhere else you can download podcasts. Do me a favor, please rate our podcast, leave a review. It helps us get the podcast out there and spread the word that brokers are better at hammer. Thanks for helping all of us brokers out there. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, man. Take care. All right. Brokers, are you looking for the best resources to succeed? The AIM member portal is your one-stop destination for everything you need. Submit and track AIM escalations for high-level loan issues, join the referral list, change AEs, and obtain exclusive discounts. And you'll have access to over 50 AIM lenders and vendors. Don't wait. Sign up today at brokersarebetter.com.